For our sermon text today, I'm going to read the entirety of Matthew 2. Matthew 2, beginning with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he rose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me, let us pray. Most gracious God, we return once more to this familiar text that we've looked at several times now. May we be reminded once more, because... You are an infinite God. This is your infinite word. Help us to see once more how all things point to our Lord Jesus and to the work that he came to accomplish on our behalf. Grant us this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Thank you. May please be seated. Today we return to Matthew's account of Jesus' birth and infancy for what is now the fifth installment in a series of meditations on Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Matthew. In each sermon thus far, we've seen that Matthew hearkens back to the Old Testament time and again in both quotations and allusions to Old Testament characters and events to show that Jesus' birth happens according to prophecy. What's more, we've also seen that in addition to looking back to the Old Testament, Matthew's account of Jesus' birth also foreshadows what is to come in his gospel. In particular, we've seen that Through a number of typological associations, Jesus' birth surprisingly also foreshadows his death and resurrection. So we come to our text again this morning. I want us to keep this familiar pattern in mind once more because we're going, today we're going to learn how Matthew adds another layer of symbolism to the story of Jesus' birth and infancy by, again, reminding readers of Old Testament characters and events from the past while also foreshadowing things to come at the end of his gospel. With that in mind, as we begin our sermon for today, I remind you two weeks ago, those who were here, The title for my sermon was A New Exodus because we looked at how Joseph and Mary's flight to Egypt to protect Jesus from Herod's wrath recalls and inverts the story of the Exodus. And then last week, my sermon was titled A New Moses because we saw how Jesus' exodus from Israel and return to the land caused the mind Moses' flight to Midian and his return to Israel to lead the nation out of bondage. In this way, we saw Matthew presents Jesus as a greater deliverer than Moses because he delivers us from the bondage of sin and death. Now, keeping in mind these parallels now, I want you to note that today's sermon is titled, A New Joseph and Mary. Notice I put the name Mary in parenthesis because though we'll talk about both of Jesus' parents, I'm going to focus our attention today on Joseph. I'm doing this because whereas Luke highlights Mary's role in bringing Jesus into the world, Matthew focuses on the role Joseph plays in Jesus' birth and infancy so that Mary plays a bit of a lesser role in his narrative. Now, obviously, without Mary, our our Lord Jesus would have never entered our world. Joseph had nothing to do with that. So we can rightly understand uh, why Mary is typically given more prominence than Joseph. 
But Matthew shows us that without Joseph, Jesus would have never survived Herod's onslaught. And so it might be said that while Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one we focus upon at Christmas, there's a sense in which Joseph might be called the Savior of the Savior of the world. What I hope to show you today is that Matthew intends we view Joseph this way by the manner he presents the story of Joseph as both hearkening back to the Old Testament and at the same time looking forward to Jesus' death and resurrection. Let's begin. Anyone who studied the Bible for any time knows that the names of characters are significant. We know, for example, that God is described by many different names and titles in Scripture, each of which tells us something different about some aspect of God's character or of our relationship to Him. He is our, our Creator, our Father, Judge, Redeemer, etc., Similarly, we know biblical characters are often named according to circumstances surrounding their births. There's Isaac, whose name means laughter. Jacob, whose name means supplanter. Samuel, which means asked of God, and so on. Sometimes people undergo name changes, usually after some significant event that changes their status, like When Abram becomes Abraham, Jacob becomes Israel, or Saul becomes Paul. What's more, the thing I want to see today is that names are also significant because they are often prophetic. One of the most obvious examples of this is seen in our second reading earlier from Matthew 1, when the angel tells Joseph to give his son the Hebrew name Joshua, which in Greek we know as Jesus. By giving Israel's Messiah the name Jesus, the Lord obviously intends, I believe, we call to mind the Old Testament figure who completed the work begun by Moses by leading the people to their inheritance in the conquest and settlement of the promised land. The angel declared, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. With that thought in mind, let's consider for a moment if perhaps there's any significance to the fact that God in his providence ordained that Jesus' earthly father be named Joseph of Bethlehem. Is it possible that there is some prophetic significance to Joseph's name? I will argue it's not only possible, it's virtually certain. Think about this. As soon as we hear the name Joseph, our minds naturally recall Joseph, the beloved son of Jacob, 
the father of the twelve tribes of Israel, whom we read about in the book of Genesis. Besides for his righteousness, one of the remarkable things about Joseph was his tendency to engage in prophetic dreams and the ability God gave him to interpret dreams. One day Joseph had a dream that the sun, moon, and stars would someday bow down to him. When he told the dream to his father, Jacob interpreted the dream to mean that someday Joseph's family would all come to bow down before him. While Jacob pondered the dream, Joseph's brothers became envious of him and in their animosity toward him sold him into slavery to a caravan passing through the land of Canaan on its way down to Egypt. In Egypt, Joseph suffered many trials, but in time God raised him to the right hand of Pharaoh specifically because of his ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh had a troubling dream one night. Joseph was able to do what Pharaoh's magicians and wise men could not. Joseph was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream and counseled him regarding what to do about it. Joseph explained that after seven years of plentiful harvest, God was going to send a worldwide famine that would likewise last for seven years. Hearing this, Pharaoh recognizes Joseph's wisdom and that God is with him. And so he appoints Joseph to make provisions for the family, excuse me, for the famine, so that when it struck, they would have enough to survive. The result was that Joseph was able to provide life-giving bread to all the world. In time, peoples from every nation, including Joseph's own family, came to Egypt to ask Joseph for bread. The result was God used Joseph not only to preserve the covenant family in Egypt, but also to provide life-giving bread to the nations and to even spread the gospel to all the world During a time of deadly famine. Keeping this story in mind. When we learn that Jesus' father is named Joseph of Bethlehem. Which literally means Joseph of the house of bread. It doesn't take too much imagination to conclude. That just as Jesus' name is significant. So also, Joseph's name is as well. Again, consider the parallels. According to Jesus' genealogy recorded in Matthew 1, which we heard earlier, just like his predecessor in Genesis, Joseph of Bethlehem's father was named Jacob. So that in both situations, we have a Jacob who fathered a son named Joseph. Similarly, both Josephs are described as just or righteous men whose righteousness is demonstrated specifically in relationship to women, one of which was immoral and the other who might have been perceived as immoral. 
In the case of Joseph, son of Jacob, his righteousness is demonstrated by rejecting the moral advances of Potiphar's wife. In the case of Joseph of Bethlehem, he's identified as a just man for wanting to put Mary away quietly when her pregnancy was first discovered. History also repeats itself by the way both Josephs are the recipients of prophetic dreams, both in the land and in Egypt. As we learn from our text from Matthew 2, Joseph of Bethlehem has three prophetic visions. In the first, he is instructed not to divorce Mary. In the second, he's told to flee to Egypt with a holy family. And in the third, he is told to return once more to the land of Israel. In response to each dream, Joseph heeds the Lord's word sent to him by the angel. Of the similarities between the two Josephs, none is more significant than the fact that Joseph of Bethlehem was called to go down to Egypt like his predecessor of old. Because of Herod's deadly animosity, God instructed Joseph to take the child Jesus, flee from Israel, and go down to Egypt during a time of severe spiritual famine. By obeying the Lord's command, Joseph of Bethlehem, ensured that Jesus would one day be able to offer himself as the spiritual bread of life to all the world. And so in the end, God used Joseph of Bethlehem to preserve the Holy Family in Egypt, to provide the spiritual bread of life to the nations, and to ensure that the gospel would go out to all the world in a time a spiritual famine. In all these ways and more, we see how appropriate it was that Joseph of Bethlehem was named after Joseph, the beloved son of Jacob. Once more, Matthew calls us to bring to mind the Old Testament story. To help us understand the story of Jesus. Now. Consider how the gospel writers also show. How the story of the two Josephs. Points to the future. And another Joseph to come. Do you recall. When the angel announced. The gospel message of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. The angel declared, And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So the story goes, the shepherds departed and found the Christ child, just as the angel had said. But what is the significance of that sign? Why that sign? And how would the sign of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger point to the future? In other words, the custom of wrapping a newborn and swaddling 
bans occurs in many countries of the world to this day. The idea uh, behind swaddling is that you wrap the baby up almost to look like a mummy to help it, it, it transition from the smugness of the womb to the outside world so that it sleeps better, uh, is prevented from scratching itself, and so on. Now, since this was customary, the customary way all newborns were handled in ancient Israel, there would have been nothing unusual for shepherds to find a child wrapped in swaddling bands in and of itself. The significance is the shepherds would find the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling bands and lying in a manger. That would be unusual. And it would be prophetic. To recognize how it would be. We must understand mangers in the ancient Israel were very different from the wooden ones represented in our nativity sets. In our country where trees are abundant, mangers are customarily made out of wood. But in ancient Israel, mangers were made of hollowed out blocks of limestone. In fact, 3,000-year-old limestone mangers from the stables of Solomon can still be seen today in the ancient city of Megiddo in Israel. More important, remember that mangers are a place animals go to eat. In fact, we get our word manger from the French word manji, which means to eat. And so finding a baby wrapped up like a mummy... Lying in a stone-hewn feeding trough for animals, that was something out of the ordinary. That's why the manner of Jesus' birth was a sign. What I want us to understand today is that Jesus' birth wasn't just a sign to the shepherds, but was also a sign of things to come. Because at the end of Matthew's gospel, we learn of another Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea, who will also wrap Jesus' body and lay it in hewn stone. Like his predecessors who bore his name before him, Joseph of Arimathea is also described as a good and just man. But the significant thing about Joseph is that he owned a virgin tomb, the Bible says, where no one had ever lain before. And having requested Jesus' crucified body from Pontius Pilate, Matthew writes, Joseph wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed And Mary Magdalene was there. Here's where the stories all converge. Just as the angels signaled Jesus' birth, so also on resurrection morning, they reappear from heaven to announce the good news of redemption to all the earth and of the possibility of peace between God and man because the baby who had been born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and laid in a manger, 
had indeed given his life for the world to become the bread of life. And hearing the report of what the angels had said and seeing the risen Jesus standing before her alive on resurrection morning, the new Mary in our story, Mary Magdalene, had her sorrow t- turned to joy, much as Mary, the mother of our Lord, did after giving birth to our Savior. On Christmas Day. And having seen the risen Christ. Mary and the women with her. Told the disciples. What they had heard and witnessed. So that Peter and John. Who were appointed to Jesus. By Jesus to become. Shepherds of God's people. Went in haste to the tomb. There they saw the sign of the shepherds of old. The linen bands of Jesus grave clothes. Lying in the rock-hewn tomb where his body had lain. In all these ways and more, yet again, we see the Christmas story teaches us that Jesus came into the world to die, to give his life a ransom for many, and to be raised to life so that we now can taste and see the Lord is good. And that's why the parallels between the beginning and ending of Jesus' life show us that his mission from that very moment he was born was to sacrifice his life on the cross and rise from the grave on Resurrection Sunday. The Lord God arranged the circumstances of Jesus' birth to anticipate that gospel message in a beautiful way. And to thereby announce good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give you thanks, Lord. You have woven for us a tapestry. All of which points to our Lord Jesus and the work that he came to accomplish on our behalf. Our Lord Jesus partook of flesh in order that he might die, that through death he might destroy the one who had power over death, that is the devil. We praise you and give you thanks as we celebrate that victory now some 2,000 years later. And we continue to ask and pray, Lord, that as his gospel continues to spread throughout the world, that many, countless more, would also join us in praising his holy name. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord by bringing forth his tithes and our offerings.